Hey, good morning, moms. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for braving the rain. I saw everybody pulled out their rain boots, and a majority of you must have had pants that fit your kids. So congratulations. Way to go. Um, We are thrilled to start this morning. Those of you that are getting food in the back, feel free and then come have a seat. Um, I have a few announcements before we get started. I'm sorry if I'm yelling at you, trying to get everybody's attention. Um, A few announcements. One, um, we are wanting to just put a plug out there. All of you in this room are aware that training ground downstairs fills up really quickly, right? Um, And so it's something that everybody's trying to rush to get help with training ground so that you can get your kids down there. So we are just going to put a plug or a bug in your ear that if you have family in town or friends or the availability ever any month, to not use training ground, that we would love for you to just make room for other moms to be able to come. So we have a really, really large waiting list, usually 75 or more women waiting to get in just because they're waiting for room with training ground downstairs. I know that seems strange, but because we only meet once a month, that's one Friday a month, and it's hard to get childcare workers to come and to be used um, downstairs in that way because it's not consistent work, if that makes sense. And so it isn't for a lack of trying, it's just for a lack of people to be able to come and help down there and serve our kids really well. And of course, we want the very best for your kiddos. So if it ever comes up, if you're like, oh, my mother-in-law is going to be in town, or my mom's here, or my friend Susie's coming over, and so I don't need to sign up for training ground that month, then that would just be really helpful. You'd be helping the ministry a lot. So I just want to make y'all aware of that. And let's see what other announcements we have. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Martha's doing a great job at keeping you guys updated on things that are coming up and just ways to encourage you or um, extra things that you might want to know about as a mom, things that go on at Watermark that might be a blessing to you and helpful there. Um, Hands and feet had a handout at the door, so make sure you picked that up and that you're aware of how you can get your kids serving at this young age because I think that's important and a lot of times really, really fun. Um, The last announcement that I have is that Parenting Conversations is coming up on um, October 24th here at the end of the month. And I want to put a plug in for that because the last one was really good and it had great attendance. And I think that this is something you guys would really enjoy. This this, This conversation is on worry and anxiety and how to talk to your kids about that. And I think that is a big topic right now, especially for me with the age that my kids are at. And so if you can get some wise wisdom and some good wisdom in that area as your kids are young, then it could be really helpful. So put that on your calendar for October 24th. Um, Speaking of wise wisdom, we always have our mentor moms in the room with us, and I know we introduced them at the beginning of the year. Elizabeth Tamlin is going to join us this morning and give you your mentor mom moment for the day, and it actually has to do with what the Parenting Conversations is about, so it's a good good segue. Thanks. Hi, I'm Elizabeth, and um, it is funny that that conversation is going to be on anxiety and worry because what I'm going to share with you is on that today because recently I've heard a couple of great speakers. So just a couple of quick points. And I would just ask you, first of all, are you a worrier or were you, did you become a worrier when you had a child? Because I know for me, when I was pregnant, I thought, oh, once his baby's here, then I won't have anything to worry about once he gets here safe. Right. And then it went to, oh, well, when should I feed him this? And when should I feed him that? And how should I feed him? And how should he sleep? And are the bars too wide? Cause it was a hand-me-down for my sister. And 
um, on their crib, uh, who's a trustworthy babysitter, and are they doing okay in the nursery right now, and what school should I take this precious little child the Lord has entrusted me to, where should he go, and then later on it's like, did they get to their destination, and are they driving, and who should they marry, and where, what about college, and so we need to get a grasp on this, because I think it could, it could never end if we don't... Um, get some get some tools in our toolbox for that. So um, I'm a number six. And so that is the, the core fear is that's is, is anxiety. And I have definitely had that my whole life, but because of Jesus, because I know him and he's given me tools, I don't have to be ruled by that. And so um, lately, these two speakers, the first one was, I heard that you have permission to worry about these three things, the things that God is not in control of, the things that God does not care about, and the things that are too big for God. And so really, if you think about that, that pretty much rules out everything. Um, So I want you to close your eyes just for a second and think about what it is right this minute that you're a little bit concerned about, worried about, anxious about, like what is it? It's a child downstairs, or maybe it's your husband's job, or maybe it's what you're, you know, what you're doing this afternoon or just finances or relationship, whatever it is, I want you to think about it. And in a, in a split second, you're going to turn this sin of worry into a prayer. And that will be something that glorifies and honors God. So I just want you to think about, let's just say it's uh, finances and you're going to say, Lord, I turn this over to you. I trust you. You are sovereign. You are good. And I'm going to trust you with it. Help me to be a good steward. Help me to be wise. And so you can take right, take that worry and immediately turn it in to something that honors the Lord. And that is prayer. So the antidote to worry is to pray. And so you're taking something that could be sinful and turn you into a spin you into a, you know, a terrible whirlwind, or you can turn it over to the Lord. Prayer honors God, um, but, but worry is sinful. Um, I've heard this verse a long, long, long time, and I memorized it many, many years ago, but it has new, like we hear the word of God is living and active, like it had a new freshness to me when I heard this. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, whatever is pure, lovely, or admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have heard or received or, le- or heard, no, whatever you have received or learned from me or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And here's the verse that was just like life-threatening, I mean life-changing, the God of peace will be with you. So if you look at those two verses, one of it says the, the peace of God will be with you. And then the second part says the God of peace will be with you. So we have the peace of God, which he's giving you, like when you, when you do these things, and we have the God of peace to be with us, to walk through anything that might come our way. And if you look at the verse, it says, um, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, one, petition, two, with thanksgiving, that's a type of prayer, present your request to God. So four times he's saying, don't be anxious, but do these things, these four things, prayer, petition, thanksgiving, and presenting your request. And what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. Um, today I have the honor to introduce our speaker, um, Holly Barnett. Oh, I have one more, one more final quote. This is from Corey Ten Boom. Any concern too small to be turned into prayer is too small to be made into a burden. So let's just turn our worry and anxiety into a prayer and turn it from something that is um, sinful to something that honors the Lord. 
So I'm going to pray real quick, and then I'll introduce Holly. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is alive and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, that it penetrates our heart and minds. And, Lord, we just ask right now for anything. Every mama in here has something that they could be worried about. So, Lord, we lift it to you in prayer right now. We ask that you would give us wisdom. We ask that we would trust you. We ask that we would turn to your word and prayer and to others, Father, to um, put the worry out of our heads. So we just thank you for your word. Thank you for these women and lift the morning to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now to introduce my friend of many, many years, um, really my dearest friend ever, and uh, been with me through thick and thin and through rejoicing and mourning as well. And so we met at a fraternity party when we wore the same dress. So that is just a fun fact. Holly has two children. Emily is here today. We are so excited that she's here and her other son, Daniel. And um, I'm sure she'll tell you a little bit about herself, but my dearest friend, Holly Barnett. Okay. Can y'all cue the video? We're going to watch this to get started. There's all this pressure, you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head. It is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there, stop would... trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing. You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. Yeah, see, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail. See, you're out. not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just sometimes it's like there's this achy. I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. Yeah, I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Oh, come on. Ow. If you would just... Don't... Try to see things my way. Do I have... Okay. That's pretty funny, huh? We've all been there. We are like the ones who want to be heard. Our husbands are the ones who want to fix it. Um, so as Elizabeth said, I'm Holly Barnett, and I have been around the nest for about 12 years. Before that, it was building blocks. Are y'all hearing that echo? Hopefully, it'll go away. Um, all right. Let me put up the picture of my family, because this is my family. That's my daughter, Emily. She's in the back, and that was when she got married in June this year. Um, That's my husband, David, at the end. We've been married for 30 years. And then Emily is married to Benson Moore. So if any of y'all know Doug and Jill Moore from around Watermark, that's their son. And then on the end is my son, Daniel. Um, Let's see, Daniel's 22. He's at Baylor getting his master's in accounting, and he has a job. He's going to graduate in December. He has a job when he finishes at P- with PwC and audit here in Dallas. So yay for gainful employment and no more college tuition. Um, and then Emily and Benson are in Fort Rucker, Alabama. He's in the Army. And he is training to be a helicopter pilot. And Emily is in the process of getting her master's in counseling. So they're busy. And Benson is actually right now on a three-week survival school training. They teach, 
they prepared the helicopter pilots in the event you were to be captured to endure that. So it's three weeks, no communication. So bonus for us, Emily decided to come home rather than stay on the Army base all by herself. So that's why she's here. Um, so that's my family. And um, today, what we're going to talk about is marriage, and the title is Consider Our Differences. So we're going to talk, I'm going to talk about our, your differences with your spouse, and then we're going to give you table time to unpack that, talk, process everything, and then Casey Uphughes is going to come up and talk to you about how those differences can impact your parenting, which... You wouldn't be here if you weren't a parent, and so you know that like it's hard enough to get along with the person you're married to, but then when you add little people to the equation and you try to parent them, that can be challenging as well. But before we get started, I have a few caveats I want to give you. Um, the first one is what you're doing is important. So I started volunteering here at The Nest because I remember how hard it was when I was in y'all's stage of life. What you're doing is hard work. It's the hardest job you'll ever have. And I think sometimes the world doesn't give you great feedback on that. It's like, oh, you're just a stay-at-home mom. It's like, gee, thanks. Like, no, I'm a lot more than that. So I just want y'all to know, if you had, anybody hasn't told you, what you're doing is important. Good job. Keep it up. Glad you're here. Glad you're wanting to invest in your marriage and your family. So thank you for that. The second thing is, just because I'm here talking on marriage, do not think it's because I have it all figured out or we have this, you know, perfect 10 marriage or anything like that. We've been married for 30 years. Marriage is hard work. We're still working hard. So that's one thing. Some of you, if you, how many of you have been through merge? Okay, a lot of you. So some of the information I'm going to talk about at the front of my, my talk, you may have heard when you went through merge. So I would ask you, don't tune out, even though you've heard it, because at the time you went through merge, you weren't even married. Now you're married and now you have kids. So this information is probably going to hit you in a new way. So I would just ask that you listen with open ears and a soft heart and see what the Lord has for you. And the final thing before we get started is when you hear the word differences, don't think bad, just think different. Differences don't have to be bad. They can just be different. I'm going to show you all a few slides before we get started just to highlight the differences between men and women. <laughs> Relate to that. That's, that's about what happens in my house. All right, let's look at the next one. The fridge. I hope you can see that. She's got all this healthy food and it's all perfectly aligned and everything. His is a little different. All right. The shower. Is that true? Like, they'll just use whatever's in there. They don't really care. And we have all these products. All right, packing. I thought this was great. <laughs> Especially if you're trying to pack for your family, you're like exhausted before you've even left the house. And he's just like, okay, that's it. All right, the next one, telling a story. <laughs> we have lots of words. I'm sure y'all know that by now. We have way more words than they do. All right, now we're going we're gonna to segue some, to some real stuff. So think about these things before we get started. So how, how are you different from your spouse? How are you similar? What are each of your strengths? What are each of your weaknesses? Do you know the answer to those questions and have you considered them? Let's talk first about one huge difference that can 
probably impact your marriage the most, and that is if you're married to a non-believing spouse. And I know if that's your case, that is not easy for you. But the good news is the Bible addresses this. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. It's 7 through 12. I've kind of paraphrased this to not all the verses there. But he says, if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? So that's clear. You're to stay and hang in there, and it's not easy. And here's some things, and it's at the top of your handout. For those of you that have a non-believing spouse, but really, this pertains to any of us. The first thing is promote peace. I think we're on the next slide now. Promote peace. Share your faith with your actions. Don't try to fix or change or judge your spouse. Just love them. And the rest is God's business. And ladies, you cannot be his Holy Spirit. So don't try to do that. And then four, pray and remember that God loves you and he loves your spouse too. It's good words for all of us. All right, now what we're going to do now, we're going to spend the first part of this talking about differences that can impact your marriage. These are basically things for you to think about, tools for you to use that you can try to drill down on why do we have a conflict or what's different or to to help you understand your spouse better. And so the first one we're going to talk about is family of origin, how you were brought up, what your household was like. And this, I'm not trying to just sit here and talk about myself, but I think in order for you to think about how you grew up and things, I'm going to share how David and I grew up, and then you can think about this, how it applies to your house. Okay, so David grew up in an all-American family, loving mom and dad, big extended family, and they had a pretty comfortable lifestyle. They weren't wealthy, but they weren't poor. They were just like, you know, pretty, I would say comfortable. I was raised by a single mom. I'm an only child. My mom was an only child with a really small family. And um, my dad was, he was killed when I was a baby in the military. And we basically lived on uh, VA benefits and social security. My mom did a little bit of stuff. So my upbringing was pretty basic. Um, And how this like kind of impacts our family. So David's mom, and she would disagree with this if she heard this, she doesn't cook. She never really cooks. So he never grew up with a home-cooked meal. If he wanted a home-cooked meal, he went to his grandmother's house or he went to his best friend's house for dinner. They went to Furs Cafeteria in Lubbock every night for dinner. They would meet, like he finished soccer practice and his sister finished cheer and dad would come from work and they ate at Furs every night. So when we, and then for me, like we really couldn't afford to go out to eat. We went to El Phoenix on Wednesday nights. And back then, ladies, enchilada dinners were 99 cents, 99 cents. So that was our, that was our eat out. I mean, that was it. It was so totally different in how we were raised. So when we got married, he said, you know, it's really important for me that our kids know that food comes from the kitchen. It doesn't come from the restaurant. And so I'm like, okay. And I think Emily can attest to this. My kids now know that food comes from the kitchen because I cooked a lot and we ate in, you know, at home a lot. And going out wasn't the norm. It was, you know, it was a treat. And that's because, not because doing that is better or whatever. It's because 
how his family of origin that made an impact on him and then that carried over to our marriage. So I hope that makes you think about, wow, I never really thought about why my husband's that way or why these things are important to me, but how you were raised makes a big difference. The next point we're going to talk about is life history. And what I mean by that is like things that happened to you, like before you got married that really impacted, impact you now and how you think about things and what's important to you. So for David, he had a chronic illness as a child that kept him from walking for three years. He had to be on a crutch for three years. So imagine you have a seven-year-old little boy who can't walk without a crutch for three full years. So that was him. That made him want to become a doctor. He spent a lot of time in doctor's offices. He really wanted to help people. So that's what he did. He had an aunt and uncle who had some bad financial decisions and he saw them lose everything. And he helped them the day they had to move out of their house. And that really impacted him because he's like, wow, like poor financial decisions don't lead to good things happening to your family. So as a result of that, it's very practical, very frugal. He went, he's a neurosurgeon. Chrissy Billman's one of his patients in here. She, I have permission for her to say that. Um, he had his training to be a neurosurgeon is grueling. It was seven years. It was long. Um, and one of the things that results out of that is like, I told Chrissy this, for the first part of our marriage, like anytime I'm like, oh, I have this problem or this hurts or whatever. And he, he's like, basically, he didn't say like, well, you don't have a brain tumor. I don't have any sympathy for you. But basically that was the gist of it is like, you really don't have any problems. I have people at the hospital with real problems. And he's gotten a lot. Christy was like, oh, I hate to hear that. But he's gotten a lot better about that now. But it made me, part of it is it made me really count my blessings. But he also had to be like, you know, I can't, the standard can't be, do you have a brain tumor? You have to, <laughs> to lower that. Okay, so we're back to the family origins from, from, from actually, no, we're not. We're not family origins. We are on life history. So I mentioned my dad died when I was very young. My mom raised me by herself. That made me realize I wanted to have a career where I could take care of myself. I didn't want to have to worry that I would have a husband who would die or that I wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to provide for me. So that made me want to go to law school. You go to law school, you become a lawyer, you practice law, you have a job. So that was how that, you know, the impact of losing my dad factored into what I wanted to do. I didn't have any model of marriage. Like for those of you that were raised in a family by just one parent, like you didn't really see marriage interacted. And so I don't know, I guess it was better than having a bad role model of marriage, but I didn't have any, any reference point for that at all. I was raised by my mom who had lost her husband. She was very overprotective, very cautious. Like I didn't, someone else had to teach me how to ride a bike. I didn't get, you know, things you think like rough and tumble, like dads play different with kids than moms do. Y'all know that when your husbands come home like at eight o'clock and they get the kids all riled up before bed. Like it's just different. So I, as a result of that, was not super adventuresome, didn't do a lot of things. So how does this impact us? So the joke was with our family, it's like if David was the only parent, the kids would have been in the ER 24-7. Like we're going to go, go for it and we're going to do all these things. And then if I was the only parent, they would be bubble wrapped and they would never get to experience anything else. So again, that's a great example of how our differences from our life history impacted to, I think we're a pretty good combination of each other. There are times when 
I would say, oh, I'm not so sure about that. And then there were times when he would be like, oh, come on, they can do this, it's okay. So that's a good thing for us. The next thing we're gonna talk about is personality. Um, what's your personality style? How are you wired? And for this, I'm gonna use the example of people in animal form. And I don't know if you've heard this or not. And the four examples are, are you a lion? Are you an otter? Are you a retriever? Or are you a beaver? And so let's talk about lions. And you think about just the, the image of like Aslan or something like that. Lions are leaders. They're decisive. They're bottom line. They're problem solvers. They're not super conversational. Otters, like think about the little otter in the water that you see. They're fun-loving and entertaining. Uh, they're networkers, they're motivators, they're creative, they're talkers. Like if you have a child who's an otter, you probably know it. Retrievers, think of the golden retriever at your feet. They're loving, they're nurturing, they're loyal, they're good listeners, and they're encouragers. None of your kids are probably retrievers at this stage, <laughs> but they might be. Uh, beavers, hardworking, detailed, accurate uh, focus on quality. And some kids, you might be able to see this beaver tendency in them. Um, Elizabeth Tamlin said, Ty, he was a beaver as a kid. Like his play was work. Like I'm a working man. I'm going to dig. I'm going to do all this. If you have a little boy that's like that, you can probably know. But um, that's, you know, think about your kids in that way, but think about your, your husband. Like, what are you? What is he? Do you know? You may know, you may not know. On your handout, at the back under recommendations, there is a list for a website you can go to and take an assessment and it will tell you what your personality type is. So I would say that's a great exercise to do after this morning. Don't try to do it this morning because I don't think you'll be distracted and I don't think you'll get a really good result, but it's a tool that's there for you if that's something you want to try to find out. The next one we're going to talk about are love languages. Think about, how many of you know what your love language is? Okay, so there's a lot of you that, that this would be a great activity for you to figure out. So love language is the way you receive love and how you like to show love to people. And they can be, they can be different. Sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're different. And the five love languages are words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. So words of affirmation would be, thank you so much for working hard for our family. Thank you for being such a great provider. And then for him, it would be, thank you so much for the awesome dinner you prepared. Or thank you so much for the way you love our kids. Just like words that just encourage you. Gifts. All right. It's, that's kind of a hard one. Like, who doesn't love a gift? <laughs> we all want a gift. But don't think about this in terms of like a box from Tiffany's. Think about that as it could be the gift of time. It could be a non-material thing. It could be a little note from your child if you have them old enough for them to make you a little note or draw something or pick a dandelion on a walk. I mean, though, though, that's a gift too. So are you, is that your love language? Is that how you show love to other people? Acts of service. And in y'all stage of life, who doesn't love a good act of service? I mean, that, and that I'm an act of service. I like to give and receive that way. So that really, that fills my tank. So you probably heard the saying that foreplay starts in the kitchen. So does your husband emptying the dishwasher 
or bathing the kids, getting them to bed? Does that fill your tank? Is that active service? Is that, you know, really good for you? Does your husband like it when you like go to the cleaners for him or pack his clothes for a trip or make his favorite tree? Or instead of him taking out the trash, you take out the trash for him. So do you know what if active service is your love language or his? Yeah, quality time. Just uninterrupted time with your spouse, with no phone, no computer, you know, just being able to connect. And I know that's super hard in y'all's stage of life. Like you're probably thinking almost impossible. But if that is your love language or that's your husband's love language, then you have to work on figuring out a way to make that happen. Um, and I'm not talking about just getting a babysitter and leaving the house. If the quality time is something that you really need and he really needs, figure out a way that you can make that happen at home, even with kids around. The last one is physical touch. And I know y'all are thinking that means sex, but it doesn't necessarily mean sex. It can mean hand holding or hugging or getting your feet rubbed or um, giving somebody a hug. And I know in y'all's stage where you are like, physical touch, like, thank you, I am touched out. Like, I have someone hanging on me, I have someone up here, I have someone down here, all the time. But, and so, if it's your love language, I know you probably battle with, like, the kids on you and your husband, but if it's your husband's love language, then you need to figure it out. And, and why this is important is, wouldn't you rather know what is important to your spouse? Like, you're spending all this time being you did a great job. Thank you for working. You're such a great provider. And he's like, all I want's a hug or all I want is for you to like lay my clothes out for work tomorrow or whatever. And the same for him. He's like telling you what a great, awesome wife you are. And you're like, just empty the dishwasher. And you know, and the key, the keys of the kingdom are yours. Just so it's worth spending some time to do that. So ask yourself, do you know what your love language is? Is the same way you express love to someone the same way you receive it, or are they different? Do you know what your uh, husband's love language is? What and what makes him feel love or cherished? Do you know? And then I would encourage you, there's again on the back end of resources, there's a little, uh, the um, Gary Smalley, you can uh, take a little test and it'll, right, that's not right. Who's the guy that wrote the love languages? Is it? Okay, it is right. Okay, yeah, so there's a thing on there. It tells you, um, you can assess what your love language is. And I think it's really interesting. And then when your kids get a little bit older, it's hard to do when they're little because really all they want is for you to serve them because <laughs> they can't really do anything for themselves. But as they get older, it's a good tool to really know like what, I mean, some kids just want time with you and some kids, some kids love gifts. I mean, so when they get older, that's a great thing to do. All right, the last tool we're gonna talk about is the Enneagram. How many of you know what you are on the Enneagram scale? Okay, how many of you have no clue what I'm talking about? Okay, so the Enneagram is a system. It's nine personality types that combine, it takes wisdom and psychology, and it's a tool to help you understand yourself and other people in your life. And the three major implications of, of finding out why, what you are in the Enneagram scale are for your own personal and spiritual growth, for successful relationships at home and at work if you work, and then for leadership development, team building, and communication skills. And then there's nine different styles of Enneagram. And for those of you that are really into this, 
Somebody in my community group just sent me this morning. Somebody has done an Enneagram song to Bohemian Rhapsody. It's on YouTube, and it is hilarious. <laughs> it is so funny if you're into this. Anyway, all right. Here are the nine types of the Enneagrams. One is the reformer. Two is the helper. Three is the achiever. Four is the individualist. Five is the investigator. Six is the loyalist. Seven is the enthusiast, eight is the challenger, and nine is the peacemaker. And you can't really tell, like, those words, you can't just look at those words and be like, oh, I'm a four. Like, no, I think you really have to take the test to do this. And again, on the back of your handout, there's a website you can go to take that assessment. And I'll tell you, some of the questions are a little wonky. So when you're reading this, you're like, this is bizarre. Like, what is this going to do? But it actually, at the end, when you get your results, you're like, oh my goodness. Like, I never thought of myself that way. Like, it tells you what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And then when you have your spouse do it too, then it really helps you understand them better. And there's a book, and it's on your resource list too, called The Road Back to You. And that really unpacks more about how those different personality styles are. So I would encourage you, if you have time, to look at that. But again, we're, now we're going to kind of segue to a, to a different area. But all those things I've talked about, they're just tools to help you understand how you're different, how, you know, possibly how this causes can lead to conflict or how you better need to understand each other. But pick one or two. Don't go home and be like, Tonight, we have to do all these assessments, and no, 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 no. Like, yeah, educate yourself, but don't, don't go home being overwhelmed. So what do we do with all this information? Now we know what to look at, you know, love languages, et cetera. Let's look at some other things. And the first thing we're going to look at is what God's Word says about marriage and how you are to coexist with each other. So 1 John 14, 16, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And then Ephesians 4, 2, which is at the top of your handout. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Then 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that the truth? And John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So I think we can pull out a few words that kind of run through those scriptures. One is love, humility, and patience. And that's what God, that's how God wants us to be really with everyone, but really especially with our spouse. Now let's talk about, we're not quite there yet. Okay, we're going to talk about Identifying areas of conflict. Do you have areas in your marriage where your differences lead to conflict? And I'm just going to throw a few out, and I'm sure you'll have some of your own, but do you have conflict over money, kids, in-laws, holidays, free time, discipline? Like what, what areas in your marriage are the ones that you kind of like, you circle back over and over and over, and you have these same discussions over the same topic over, over, and over. Now we're going to talk about expectations, and I think this is a big one. William Shakespeare said, expectation is the root of all heartache. So I'm not sure if it's the root of all heartache, but expectations can be the root of lots of heartache. So what do, what do I mean by this? So let's, let me give you an example. You've been home all day. You have three kids. 
one of them's sick, one of them's nursing, you're still in sweats, you haven't had a shower, um, and you're pretty much, you have had it. And all you can think about is your husband walking through the door, welcome home, here's the children, I, am, I need a break. Okay, now, your spouse has been at work all day, he had a terrible call, he had a bad meeting with his boss, He's, what, he's been traveling, whatever the case is. And he's thinking to himself, I cannot wait to get home. I'm going to sit in my chair. I'm going to turn on ESPN. And I just, I need a few minutes to veg and, and I, in quiet. Okay. Those are two completely different expectations. So what happens if you, he comes home and you're home and you haven't discussed this? You are going to be, uh, your expectations are not going to be met and you are going to be unhappy and his expectations are going to be met, and he is going to be unhappy too. So here's some things to ask yourself. We're not there yet either. Um, okay, are you aware of what you expect? Do you, do you know what your expectations are? And do you know what your spouse expects? And are you reasonable in what you expect? Are you clear about what you expect? And are you willing to listen to the Lord on this? So let's play this out in the little scenario I gave you. So what you, are you aware of what you expect? I expect when David gets home that he's going to give me five minutes so I can go potty by myself. I can wash my face and brush my teeth. I can like sit like in a chair by myself for five minutes. That, that's my expectation. So what I would say is, you know, Phone call, text, hey, babe, it's been a super hard day around here. Is there any way you can take the kids when you get home and give me a few minutes to myself? And hopefully he says, yes, I love you. You're the best mom in the whole world. <laughs> I would be happy to give you five minutes. Okay, that, that's a, you have a reasonable expectation. You're aware of what it is. You've communicated to him what it is. He has, you've been clear. He's heard you. He understands. Okay, now here's an example of an unreasonable expectation. You're texting. I've had it. These kids are driving me crazy. I need a week away at the spa. Like, no, that's not a reasonable expectation. But y'all, y'all get the point. Like, if you don't, if you don't know what you expect, if your spouse doesn't know what you expect, if you haven't communicated that to each other, then you're just asking for trouble. So this is the thing, if you really think about it, you can avoid a lot of conflict if you just communicate that. And it may be like that your given expectation is when your husband comes home, he takes charge of the kids for a little bit, but there may be a day when he doesn't have the bandwidth to do that. He is worn out. So for him to be like, hey, if you have one of those days, just let me know and I can rise to the occasion. I will keep the kids from jumping all over you and you can have a few minutes. Examining your expectations is a, is a great thing to do. All right, the final thing we're going to talk about in, in this, how do we, we analyze where our differences are? We're not there yet either, sorry. <laughs> is patterns where your differences cause conflict. Like if you look back at times when you or your spouse have some issue over something, is there any kind of common thread? Does it happen when you're overly tired? Which probably y'all are pretty much overly tired all the time. But let's just say, is it because you're tired or he's tired? Is it, does it happen after he's been on a travel trip for a week? Does it happen after your in-laws visit? And like you're kind of, everybody's sort of on edge. Like, are there times when you know 
you're going to, you're more likely to not be in sync with each other. And for me, like when David takes, he's down at Baylor, it's a level one trauma center. He takes ER call. Our joke is his personality changes when that happens because you never know if the call you're going to get is somebody who just needs a, a refill of medication or somebody's been in a plane wreck or, you know, or Chrissy Billman with a brain tumor or something. You just don't know. And so I know now, like, that is not the best time to have in-depth conversations with him is when he's on ER call. I kind of just save everything up, wait till he's had a chance to, to return to his regular personality, and then we can have those conversations. So think about that. Are there things in your family, times when you know you're going to have conflict or you're more likely that? And then one of the number one things for me is if I haven't spent time in God's word and we have a conflict, I'm like, oh, what, what do you think? Like your mind is not in the right place. You haven't been filled up. You're not plugged in. That just, it, it just changes your countenance. It, it just gets you in the right perspective. So ask yourself, are you, you know, when you see this happening, is it because you haven't spent time in his word? Now let's talk about now, now we're on the next one, really, for, for real, how to resolve differences. All right, the first one is prayer. So God knows your circumstances. They don't surprise him. First Peter 5, 7, cast your worries upon him because he cares for you. So pray, pray for, you know, the watermark, draw the circle around yourself. Pray for yourself. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your marriage. Pray together. Let the Holy Spirit work through you. Second one, spend time in God's word. We've talked about this. Um, one of my favorite things to do, if you have Bible Gateway, you can get the app on your phone. There's a little speaker icon and you can let it read to you. So it will actually read scripture to you. And the journey, if any of you are doing join the journey, the same little speaker icon is on that. So you can let it read to you while you're doing dishes or folding laundry or nursing a baby. You don't have to actually be there either, you know, reading it off your phone or in a Bible. It can read to you. But if you're having a hard time, if you're struggling with how to spend time in God's Word, you've got amazingly smart, sharp ladies at your table. Spend some time when you have table time saying, hey, how do you spend time in God's Word? What do you do? Um, ask them or ask, you know, Elizabeth or myself, like, what do you do to help you get that in, in your life? And then the final point is share. So share what you've learned today, go home, take one assessment or learn something new, and then share that with your spouse. Like, hey, you know, I just finally figured out that my love language is acts of service. So, you know, instead of you buying me flowers every week, which you're like, no, he doesn't buy me flowers every week. But instead of you giving me a gift, I would rather you just empty the dishwasher for me and then be like, I'd love to know what your love language is. Like, or do you know, or can we take this, this um, assessment? And then if you're still having struggles and your differences are, are you know, you're not making headway, Share your struggles with your community group if you have one. And if you don't have a community group, find a trusted, believing friend to share with. And I emphasize believing. Like if you go to a friend who's not a believer, her compass isn't the same as yours, she's probably, you know, not going to point you to Christ and to truth. So be careful who you, you share with. But, but it's important to share and let other people know, you know, what, if you have an area, what it is. All right, I'm going to wrap up. But I want y'all to know, marriage is hard. 
Like we are all different. We are uniquely, we were uniquely made. We're different from our spouses, but that doesn't mean it's bad that we have differences. We're two sinners living in the same house. And then if you throw in a bunch of little sinners too, and you're all trying to coexist, it's going to be hard. But like I said at the beginning, marriage is hard work. It's like if somebody told you marriage was easy, you should go back to them and tell them not to tell other people that because it's just not the case. But be encouraged. These God made you. He made your spouse. You can go through these differences and you can definitely take ground in areas where you have you have conflict. So now you're going to have some time at your table to discuss some of the things we've covered. And I would say to you, pick two or three things that you want to think about or work on. Don't leave with 15 things. Please don't go home and tell your husband, I was at the nest today and they told us we have to take all these assessments and we have to put in place all these things. Like that is not a, that's not going to go well for you. So we have, um, time now for y'all to have table time. And then Casey is going to come up and talk about how all these differences factor into how you parent, which is fascinating. So thank you so much, ladies. All right. I'm going to have you guys kind of finish up quickly. We're going to move on to our next topic just to overwhelm you more. So good. Such a blessing. All this information. Okay. So this next part of uh, what we're going to be talking about is really when we talk about differences, how it relates to parenting. And, um, and we'll uh, get into all of the nuances of that. So my name is Casey Uphuse, and these are my people um, I am, I've been married to, for 14 years to Creighton and we've got two boys, Marshall and Spencer. They're 10 and seven. And, um, I'm the only girl, but my husband's the only introvert. So it's kind of a wash, right? But, um, that sweet, handsome, tall guy in that picture could not be more different from me because as I said, he's an introvert. And as you can guess, if you're standing up here, you're an extrovert, like to talk. And so we were having a conversation one day about parenting. And as we do as women, I was like, okay, there was something I needed to talk to him about. I had figured it all out. Like I knew what the right decision was, but I needed to pass it by him. So I started on my choice and start going to my explanation, and we're just talking, and the, it, the stakes are low. This isn't a really important thing that we need to decide on, but it's very clear from his face that he's not, in agree- he's not agreeing with me. And so I can tell as we kind of go back and forth, and we're kind of talking through all the things that this is just not going to pan out my way. Clearly, I have thought through this, but he did not agree. So he lovingly looks at me and says this blessed sentence, and he says, man, I'm really sorry that my opinion doesn't match up with what you want. And I've never been so unbelievably frustrated and attracted to him in one moment in my life. Because I'm like, what? Say that again. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry that my opinion doesn't match what you want because I can really tell what you want, but I totally disagree with what you're saying. And I'm like, well, I could put that on a t-shirt because that is like the definition of our marriage is that my opinion is typically not what he wants because we're always so different. And I was like, but I am going to use it in my talk was going to happen. Thank you, baby. So um, that is one of the things that's being, that's just really hard when you're married to somebody that's really smart and analytical, and you might be a little emotional, 
maybe a control freak, maybe a lot control freak. Is my earrings? Are we going? Are we going crazy? The hair? Sorry. Um, so that's what we're going to really be talking about today is that it's really easy to get stuck in those differences when your attitude and your approach to differences about parenting and how to work together and all the nuances of that. Because ultimately the goal that we want, ladies, in all of this is peace. We want resolution and we want peace. So how do you get that when you're working with someone that's totally different from you? So, um... That is what we're considering today. We're considering how do we use our differences as a strength and not a weakness when it comes to our parenting. So Paul in Colossians talks about this, and we're going to kind of unpack a point of Scripture where he was writing to um, this church and this body because they just weren't unified. And a lot of that was because they were just choosing to live in their flesh. They were just wanting to do all the stuff their way, however they wanted to do it, and they were not taking into account the differences of everybody involved. And so Paul kind of takes this, and y'all have heard it before, it's this put off all of these fleshly desires and living in the flesh and put on and imitate Christ. Be more like Christ in the way you love others. And so as we're kind of unpacking all of these different approaches, we'll go through all those things that Paul talks about. So we're going to talk about three approaches today. Our approach to each other, our approach to our differences, and our approach to conflict and how we do all of that in an effort to move towards peace. So the first bucket that you'll see, oh, I didn't, did I say your attitude? Oh yeah, I did, sure. It's on your, it's on your handout, it's good. Okay, so our first approach is your attitude to each other. And there are really two perspectives that I have found that have really helped me positively have a good positive attitude about my approach to my husband and my kids. And that first approach is that for me and my husband, we are a team, no matter what, We are a team, I'm team Creighton, he's team Casey, and that's always what we're looking for. But when you have a team, what does it look like to be a good team player? What does it mean to be a good team player? And really there's three qualities that you see when you are trying to be a good team player and you're on a team. One is, you gotta be a good sport. Y'all, we all know those bad sports on sports teams. There's the worst. They've got bad attitudes. They're not there to win. I mean, sorry, if you've got a three-year-old playing soccer, they're probably a bad sport at some time. It just happens because they're three playing soccer. Um, they don't get it. That grass is really interesting. Um, but you know for a good sport, it's all about your attitude, whether you want to be there and you want to be involved and you're supporting your team or whether you're not. And for me, it's all about believing the best in my husband. I have got to believe that he is for me, he is for us, and I also have to believe that he loves my children just as much as I do. So when we're coming in, those, in all of these differences, I've got to know that I've got to believe the best in him, even if we're differing in our opinions. The other, the other quality of a good team player is that you don't foul out on your teammate. I mean, we know, man, it happens sometimes when you accidentally run into somebody when you're playing and you're like, oh, you know, keep short accounts. Like, I don't sweat the small stuff. Move on. You can apologize. But if you've got somebody on your team that is acting like your opponent, that's going to lead to lots of anger. It's going to lead to lots of distrust, arguments, frustration. So you want to be a team member that doesn't want to foul your own team player, your own teammates. The third quality is really working together before towards a goal. So as a team member, 
we want to trust, we want to believe that we are better together and that we can't do it. If you're going to be playing on a team sport, it's not, you know, there's no I in team, right? So we want to play, we are working towards the same thing together. So we want to trust that God is going to get us through it as long as we don't give up on each other. Now, he may approach things differently. Let me promise you, my husband is going to approach it differently. But I still believe the best in him, and I know he might go about it differently. But if I remember that we're on the same team and we're working towards the same goal, then I know he's going to get there. We're just going to do it in a different, at a different pace. Because a warning to you guys, you will probably experience this, is that your kids will sniff out if you're not a team. They love to pitch you against each other. They know we did it. Come on. We did it. We know y'all know we did it when we were younger. You know that one that's going to be the sucker that you can go over there and ask because the other one's going to say no. Your kids are going to do it. So if you are unified as a team, that makes things so much easier on the two of you. Um, How this has worked out for us is the infamous can I have candy question. Halloween's coming up. Can I have candy? So there was one time where my oldest son comes to me says, mom, can I have candy? I know it's about to be dinner time or whatever. Treat, pick, pick your poison, right? So I I know it's not going to happen. So I'm like, no. So that little booger, you know, he goes across the house, asks daddy, hey, can I have a treat? Can I have a snack? Creighton's like, sure. Then I see him walking in and I'm like, where'd you get that? He's like, well, dad said I did. And I was like, here we go. Now Creighton and I are a team. So I, Creighton's not to blame. I, he did, we didn't know. I mean, this, this just happens, right? So I kind of, we really started using a term that we use now still to this day. And my 10 year, my 10 year old knows that if I say this, it's like a kibosh. And I'm like, oh, I'm on team daddy. Like whatever daddy says is what we're going to do. If daddy said it first, that doesn't negate what I have. So we're on team daddy. So if you've got that kid, that sweet kid, that's like, but what about me? Are you on team Spencer? You know, you know how they do. They're going to twist it. You're like, yes, we are on Team Spencer, but I am always on Team Daddy first because we're coaches. You're my players. Come on. Like, don't do that. You know, so that is a phrase that I've loved. And yeah, now my sweet 10-year-old, he knows when I'm like, oh man, we're on Team Daddy. He's like, oh, it's not going to happen. I know she's going to be, you know, she's pro. That's how it's going to work. The other aspect of how our perspective that I found has been really helpful when approaching my kiddos is just knowing my role as a parent. Um, Being a control freak that I am, when I became a mom, I just felt I felt so much pressure that I needed to make my sons not be jerks and be gentlemen. I needed to lead them to Christ. I needed to do all the things. It's exhausting. Ladies, it's not your role. Your role is something that I learned in a fun little parenting class that we took many, many years ago. That um, It was actually here at Watermark, and it was talking about your child's design. And there was a phrase that they said over and over again, and it said, the parent's job is not to create the child, but to shepherd the child already created. The pressure's off, guys. The Savior and the Lord God creator of our universe created that child with a wonderful plan and purpose in mind. It is your job to just help them figure it out not to make it happen for him. So for me, that just took off so much pressure. I don't have to do all the things. I don't have to do, I, I just need to trust that God has a plan and I can rest in it. 
So the verse Ephesians 2.10, which there's totally a typo on your sheet. It says Ephesians 2.20, change that to 2.10, says, and really just draw, um, drives home this point, and it's that for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that is just reiterating that God has a special and very specific path for your kid, and it's your job to just help them discover and uncover it. And that's the fun. He's made them into something that's going to be amazing. But it's our job to really help support what, what God has already done, what, what God will be doing in them. So what that really helped teach me is that I've got more impact than I think and less control than I think. And you as mamas have more impact on your kids than you think and less control than you think. So the biggest impact that you can make on them is your marriage. We all have stories. Our parents' marriages are part of our story. That's the kind of impact that it makes. So for you, the biggest and best impact that you could ever make is to show your kids, hey, here's what it's like to be on a team. Here's what it's like to love when it's really hard. Here's what commitment looks like. Here's what peace looks like. Here's what all of those things look like. That is what you show your children in your marriage when, in, when it comes to parenting. So as I was talking about, Paul really talks in Colossians. Um, we'll get to, to the scripture that he is really talking and encouraging them to put on. And it says in Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's the attitude, and that's our approach with how we should talk, how we should approach each other, with those qualities, to step out of our flesh, to not be selfish, to imitate Christ with kindness and patience. So how are you doing? Do you feel like you're a team player right now with your husband, or are you opponents, opponents playing against each other on, this, on, on the same team? Do you believe and really trust that God has a special and very specific plan for your child and your role and your job is just to help them uncover and discover who he already made them to be and not control it? So let's look at our second approach, and that is your approach to your differences. Now, it does not take people very long when they meet me to recognize that I've got some big old curly hair. I cannot get lost in a crowd. People find me anywhere I go. And, um, but my hair is kind of a funny, y'all, y'all, we never like what we have, right? I mean, fifth grade, self-care was a struggle. My mom said, sure, you should cut that off. And I was like, that's a great idea because brushing this is a tragedy. So I chopped it off into a beautiful boy, uh, boy cut. And then in God's kindness, puberty hit me in sixth grade. And I'm going to tell you that was bad. I thank the Lord for no Instagram at that point in my life. Because as you can imagine, when this curly hair is just coming in, because hormones are real when it comes to hair, it just grew in its depth and richness. And, um, but, to, but also in the Lord's kindness, 
this was the 80s and perms were like, yes. So I didn't have to flat iron it. I just needed to make, I just needed to look like everybody else's fake perms. So I was like in like Flynn. But you know, our struggle with our hair is just, we never like what we have. And finally in college, I came to terms and said, this is what I have. I just got to work with what I got. And as Tim Gunn said, this is a make it or work. This is a make, what, what does he used to say? He said, this is a make it work moment. That is oftentimes how we need to change our perspective on our marriage. This is what you have, ladies. You got you to gotta work with what you got, and it's a make-it-work moment. So when you consider the differences that you have with your, parent, with your parents, as a parent, with your husband, when, um, how, what's your approach? Do you see, like, you know, we struggle with our hair. Do you see it as a strength, or do you see it as a weakness? So if you see it as a strength, do you see it as a really unique gift that you've been giving? that these differences help create a balance. I mean, listen, I'm a crazy train. My husband is the calm in my storm. That is the biggest blessing for our children because I would hate, that would be a lot of, that would be a lot for both of my boys. But do you see it as a weakness? Do you see it constantly, the differences that you have between each other? Do you see it as a frustration, a constant roadblock, maybe just discontent in it? So let me remind you that your differences and the Lord putting you two together is to your benefit. And it's one of the best benefits that you will have for your family because that is about the balance. They bring so much perspective. I love the perspective that my husband brings to my boys that I don't have. And it has made an impact on me. I love that it has saved us from so much heartache because he has said, stop. We're not jumping on your crazy train today. <laughs> so conductor, all the time. So one of the, so those are your benefits of having differences. But one of your hindrances are those differences. When there are some, there are some hindrances when it comes to your differences. And I like to call those difference ditches that we often fall into. So different stitches are expectations that we have that can often trip us up and get us stuck. But let's think about ditches. They're not all bad. I mean, oftentimes if there's a big ditch, it's because there's something worse on the other side, right? So that ditch is there to keep us safe and to keep us on track. But you need to know that your expectations exist and they really inform your decisions, but they're super personal. And it's really hard when it's so personal to discern if it's normal or maybe a little bit excessive. So Holly actually mentioned a lot of the different ditches that we can fall into, but I'm going to really put them in two different buckets. And the first bucket is upbringing. And that's that family of origin, family history, just how you grew up. Because your upbringing can be a really big ditch because oftentimes it's the lens that you see everything through. And you might think it's what's best because it's what you experienced and that's what, but that might not be true. Um, so some ditches, um, some, so some of the examples for upbringing could be whether you're raised in a believing family, a non-believing family. Maybe you were raised in a believing family, but it wasn't necessarily a healthy believing family. How was your parent and sibling dynamic? How did you relate to your parents? How did you relate as siblings? What was, how did you spend time as a family? What were the communication patterns? Maybe your mom was super controlling, or maybe she was really passive. Maybe your dad was overprotective, or maybe he was disengaged. Maybe there's abuse or alcoholism, loss or divorce in your family. 
all of those things can be ditches that you fall into because it's just the lens with what you, with what you see. So they can make a huge impact on your parenting because they influence your decisions. So an example for me is that my husband is very different from my dad in the, in the handyman arena. My dad actually worked for a handyman company. He was a tinkerer. He could fix anything. So I marry my sweet husband. He is more of a caller than a fixer. And at first, I really shamed him in this, which was super unfair because I'm really glad he did not have high expectations in the kitchen because my community group is in the back and they know that that is a struggle for me. I am not a good cook. I mean, like, good grief, good grief. So for me, I really just shamed him in the beginning and emasculated him and just made his self-worth feel really crummy because I was like, why can't you fix this? That was a different ditch that I fell into because God didn't make a mistake. He's just not that way. That's all right. That's not his strength. But I would really hold it against him, which was completely unfair. So another difference ditch that we can really fall into is our personality and maybe our parenting style. So if you're an extrovert or an introvert, maybe you're really lenient or strict. Are you overprotective or a risk taker? Maybe you escalate or or withdraw in conflict. Maybe you really prefer to have open communication and talk all the time. Or maybe you're just not a big words person. So Holly mentioned those love languages and the Enneagram and all those tools that are really good to help you figure out who you are and who your husband um, is. And I cannot recommend those enough. It is so empowering when you can see why you struggle with something in particular. Um, We did one of the Your Enneagram Coach little quizzes over the summer or two ago. My husband is a, a Enneagram five and I am a one. So we figured out a lot of things where he was like, I figured out with fives, if they don't have anything to say, they don't say it. What? You mean like if you don't have anything to say, you just stop talking? Like, what is that? I just want to fill the noise. But it was so hugely important for me to understand that and not misinterpret it, right? So what that also comes into with him being an Enneagram 5 is that his bucket and his tank getting depleted and empty is a big deal. So when you have kids and extracurricular activities and all the things after school, that does not bless my husband. Whereas I want to go, 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 go as an extrovert, that does not support him. So we really had to feel like in, in learning more about each other, and seeing how that, that, that was a parenting decision that we had to make was, listen, I need to honor you and your capacity. And it's different from mine. And so we're not going to do as many extracurricular activities. We're not going to go and do all those things because that's just not going to be successful for our family. So um, the funny thing about that is the first thing that you fell in love with with your spouse when you were just in love and no one else was around is probably what drives you crazy right now as a parent with parenting with him. Um, and isn't that funny? Isn't the Lord so kind in that? Uh, so I can remember, you know, like my husband loves it. I can talk at any party, but now I leave him behind. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna and for him, <laughs> and for him, he really needs to chill and he needs some quiet. And that blesses me. Like learning to move slower has been really good for me and for our kids. So our upbringing and personality and parenting style are ditches that we can fall into. And hopefully I've encouraged you to see them as assets, but also areas that you can take ground in.
Um, shift that way of thinking. Don't see them necessarily your differences as a threat. Um, think of them as yours, but they're just different from yours. Um, Colossians, back to the Colossians scripture that Paul was talking, to, uh, talking about in Colossians 3, 13 through 14, it says, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So do you see the benefit and the hindrance of your differences? God knows that despite your differences, you can work together. You can bear with one, with one another. You, he knows that you can bind everything together with love. So what ditch are you falling into right now in parenting that God is maybe calling you to reconsider? And we'll talk about that when y'all have the open table time. So our last approach is your approach to conflict. So when you're in a relationship with a person and the stakes of parenting seem really high, that conflict is really inevitable. And how you approach that conflict really depends on your heart. Is your heart is the posture of your heart aligned with Christ and the grace and the love of the gospel? Is it, are you being selfless or is it misaligned with Christ and the gospel? Selfish, trying to control arguments and issues in your own strength. So I recently heard not too long ago somebody say that children are tiny assassins sent by the Holy Spirit to kill your sinful self. I'm going to say that again. Children are tiny assassins sent by the Holy Spirit to kill your sinful self. Because there is nothing more refining than parenting when you see your child do something that you do and struggle, and you're like, no, don't do that. I do that. That's horrible. It's highly unattractive. It's not going to go well for you if you keep controlling people like you're trying to control me because I'm the best controller. Don't try to out-control me, right? So it's that, it's that rub of like when you're in conflict and your heart is not in a good place, we all know those silly arguments that we've had with our, with our husband where you're like, this is really not about the whatever we're talking. It's not about the nail, right? So, I mean, we've had arguments. We can conflict about naps, when to nap, when not to nap, food, juice. Oh, juice. We've had lots of conversations about juice. What about sports? What sport to play? What not sport to play? Should we bribe our children to make a goal? We totally did, by the way. So, you know, feel confident in who you're learning from today. Um, but the biggest conflict that we've ever had that could have gone glaringly wrong, but my heart was okay in it, was around smocking. You know, ladies, smocking. This time of year, smocking, pumpkins, sailor suits, all those really cute things. So I married a man that was like, nope, my sons are not going to wear smocking. I'm a good girl from the South. Like this was my dream. Nope, not happening. So I had to die to self on that. Not important. No children. No, none of my boys are in the sailor suit, guys. I'm so sad about it, but I moved on. It's going to be fine. So, but my view of conflict is often how you approach it in that moment. And when conflict arises, how do you approach it? Maybe you approach it as problem solving. Maybe it's positive. Conflict's not a problem for you. Maybe you're reactive to the problem and to your spouse. Maybe you downplay the problem. Everybody's fine. During the conflict, do you stay focused, solve logically? Maybe you're more emotionally charged. Maybe you um, try to avoid pain at all costs when it comes to conflict. Maybe you're a peace faker. What about um, sometimes 
you might focus more on the magnitude of the problem, or other times you might focus on your spouse's response to the problem or lack of response to the problem. The way my husband and I approach when we're healthy, the way we both approach conflict, which we actually figured out when we did the Enneagram stuff together, was that we are very focus-driven and we'd like to solve it logically. But that really happens because the posture of our hearts are not always in a great spot. And so for me, my bend is to typically completely respond. Is it, is it all over? Is to completely respond straight, like in my flesh. The way he responds to me is a huge trap for me. I'm all about his response. I love to downplay the problem. And everybody's fine, no problem here, no issue. I also love to not listen and just bulldoze my way through and control all of the things. So the biggest help for us in this has been in community and being in a community group because they have made us just go full head into all of our issues and conflicts when it comes to parenting. But there were a couple things that we decided when we were going to go in community group, and that was that nothing was going to be off limits. Parenting is hard to talk about in community, but it is the biggest area that you need help and support in. So we just decided nothing's off limits. We're going to talk about it all. We also knew that we needed their prayer and their biblical wisdom. We knew that we had some blind spots that we needed help pointing out, and they are the biggest help for pointing out those blind spots. We also know that isolation and pride are Satan's loveliest tools to get us to drive a wedge into our parenting, into our marriage. So when we're stuck on something that we're trying to, trying to process through and conflict is starting to arise— we take it to the Lord, and then we take it to community. And if you don't have a community group, let me encourage you that you are not alone. Find a trusted believer. Find another couple that's biblically minded and help process things with them. And that's a lot of what Holly mentioned as well. So that final scripture in Colossians is Colossians three fifteen, And it says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So as believers, we should live in peace together. And that doesn't mean suddenly everything's going to go away. If you're living with that heart, you know, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Man, I wish that would be a perfect remedy. But our sinful selves just get in the way. But Paul wants us to let Christ's peace be the goal in our hearts. So how are you going to move towards peace right now in conflict? Which choice can you make that will help promote peace? So I'm going to close with a story of something that we've kind of had going on in our lives this last year and kind of show you how, if I look back on it and what we were doing, we were really using a lot of the attitudes, approaches, and everything that I'm talking about. And it was the decision around our son. Our son has, um, we learned this last year that he was having some schooling issues and we needed to pray about it and potentially consider having him repeat a grade. And for both of us, it was, it, we were just wrecks about it. I mean, it's just really hard when you recognize that you're, you're, our son has a learning disability that is maybe not going to allow him to be who we thought and just go along the merry way like everybody else. But if I look back and I see the tools that we use, there's a couple of different things that we did along the way on how we came to our final decision instead of moving it and moving towards conflict. And one was we knew we are a team. We both felt super differently about it in the beginning. I mean, as you can imagine, you've got different thoughts about all the different things that are going on in your head. But we believed the best in each other, 
and that we knew that our commitment was to each other, to the Lord, and to our son. Um, We knew that our goal was always, at the end of the day, was going to be to obey God, to come to consensus. We were not going to make a different decision. We wanted to come to consensus and have the same idea in mind, and that we knew we were going to get through it together. We were not going to let Satan use this as a wedge to drive us apart. We trusted that our son was deeply loved by God, and I'm going to get through it, and he clearly had a different plan for him than we had hoped and imagined. This was not how we thought it was going to go. But we needed to step out in faith. That was very clear. The Lord was calling us to step out in faith and to put our selfish desires aside and focus on what God was uncovering in him. I mean, like, it was just the Lord had made a perfect kid, and we just needed to help him figure out where he needed to be. So upbringing came into a play here when we look at our ditches, the upbringing. My husband, ironically enough, repeated a grade. So the provision that I see in that from the Lord is not lost on me. It was perspective that I needed to make my heart okay with it. Because if my husband, who I loved, repeated a grade, then my son could, always, you know, could also make it through. But it also was a ditch for my husband because he didn't want to go through the stuff. He didn't want his own son to go through some of the struggles that he went through. So working through that was really hard. We processed for so long with our community and without their love and support and just the ability to just say all the ugly, it was so refreshing. Because at the end of it, ladies, I was stuck. I was stuck. I was mad. I was grieving. I felt like the Lord had betrayed me and betrayed my son. But then I had to remember, God, Jesus, he experienced the ultimate betrayal from all of my sin that I brought on him and that he loved Spencer more than I could ever imagine. So for me, being reminded that he made me the mom for this moment Like, he chose me to be with him because he knew this was coming. Oh, I'm going to get through it. So um, how it ended up up was that our son did end up repeating, and he is thriving. He's doing great. It's been the best year. But our differences in all of that was to our benefit. The perspective that we both had, the community that we had, everything, our upbringing, the Lord planned it for such a time as this. And so I had to believe at the end of the day, it was what Paul was asking, to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. So let me encourage you all with that today. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, what an opportunity to be a mom. How overwhelming it is, but how much joy it brings. And just the idea, if we trust and believe that not only are we uniquely made and designed, but our kids are uniquely made and designed and created. And there is no error in that. And Lord, I just pray for this time for the women that are just wrestling in their marriages with something that is just a difference that they just can't get over. Lord, that I pray that you would call them to let Christ rule in their mind, in their hearts, and move towards peace. Um, I just thank you for this ministry of just how they always pointing people back to you. And we love you, Jesus, and we just thank you for you. In your name, amen. Thanks, ladies. I've got a couple of questions on here for you to answer. Probably not going to be able to get through them all, but you're going to try. Hey, ladies. 
Um, I hope you guys had great conversations at your tables. This room really filled up from when I first did announcements. Like every table has people at it now. That's great. I'm so glad. Um, Casey and Holly, thank y'all both very much. Can we clap for them one more time? It is, um, it is not an easy task to be asked to get up here and talk about marriage. <laughs> so I really appreciate you guys being vulnerable about your marriages and the things that you guys struggle with and the differences that you have. Um, ladies, this is a room full of different women that are sitting in different marriages and some of you in some really hard ones. And so I want you to just know that we are not oblivious to that fact. Not everything is roses. Every marriage is hard, some harders, harder than others. Um, and so I hope that this morning what you heard was hope that your differences can actually be a benefit to your marriage. That's what we wanted you to see and to understand. And because sometimes we stare at them and we're angry at them, right? And we're like, I wish that we could just be the same, but you really don't want that. I really think we would have some really boring marriages, some really boring families if both spouses were the same, right? If we had everything the same. And so I want you, I'm hopeful that today when you go home and you look at your husband, that the Lord shows you something that you're like, gosh, I love that about you. Um, my community group has been reading the book Cherished, and I couldn't recommend it more. It has been such a blessing to all of the couples in our community group to read through that book and to really remember why we cherish one another. Um, it's, been really, it's been really fun. Last night, even, I was thinking about um, what made me fall in love with Lance and what drew me to him and what attracted me to him originally. And, um, and that just brought a lot of smiles and a lot of good memories. And so sometimes we just have to sit back and remember who we were before we had all those babies, you know? Um, and so anyhow, I just want to pray us out of here and then you guys can, um, say your last little goodbyes and go get your little, your little cherubs. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the marriages in this room, Lord, even the ones that are difficult, because we know that you are in them, and we know that you are with us, and that you give us um, your spirit to love and to honor and to cherish our husbands and the differences that are in our marriages. Um, and I pray, Lord, that you would just be with all of us, and as we walk out of this room today, Father, you would give us hope and encouragement in our marriages, that we would um, really be intentional to um, grow towards our spouse, Father, and to lean in and to love them well and to honor you in our marriage and to give our children that security of a, of a strong marriage and, um, of, and to be women that love you and love your word, Lord. And so even in the hardest marriages, even in the easiest ones, Lord, I pray that we would open your word, that we would dig into the gospel, that we would see who you are and who we are um, because of you and that we would walk in that truth, Lord. Father, thank you for these women, and thank you again for Casey and for Holly and for their sharing this morning, Lord. And thank you for the nest and the way that you're using this ministry to strengthen marriages and families. We love you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.